It's good to have all of you guys here today. It's good to be able to celebrate what Jesus did for us today. Amen. Well, last week, well, before I get get to there, um, I wanted to remind you guys that Freshwater, the worship night that we do about once a quarter uh, at the Rogers Theater, that's going to be this Friday night. So this Friday night at 7 p.m. at the Rogers Theater. Um, go ahead, come on out. It's going to be really fun. I have a lot of re- really good friends of mine that have joined us in, uh, in having a great time of worship together in a centralized location. We used to do worship night here at church. Uh, we used to do it about once a month, actually. And uh, we, we really wanted to be able to reach other people and not make it about a church and make it about the church. Amen. And so we were, we were able to, uh, to secure the Rogers Theater on uh, numerous dates throughout the year. This is our third year going through and doing this. So it's really fun getting to gather together with people that you don't normally get to on a Sunday morning or maybe Wednesday night and uh, just worship the Lord together with other people. You know, being encouraged that there are other believers out there besides just the ones that are sitting right by you. Amen. So that's going to be this Friday night, April 14th, uh, going to be a really good time. We're, we're very excited about it. <clears throat> Last week, if you were here, uh, we celebrated what's known as Palm Sunday in the church. Everybody familiar with Palm Sunday? We celebrated the, uh, the, the occurrence of Jesus being, uh, being ushered in on a donkey and people laying down their cloaks and their palm branches down, uh, representing that Jesus, that the king has entered into the city. Really fun time, but what we did was we went back to the Old Testament and also saw another instance where people laid down their cloaks for a king. It was in the representation of a guy named Jehu. He was a uh, commander in the, in the army, and uh, the prophet Elisha told one of, his, uh, one of his people, he said, hey, you need to go and, uh, and, and anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel. And so he sent him over there when the prophet did that. All the people in the camp were wondering what just happened to Jehu after the young prophet went in and, and took him into the back room and told him what the Lord had delivered to him. And Jehu said, the Lord has declared me as the king. And they all took their cloaks off, and they laid it down at his feet, and they all declared, Jehu is king. And immediately after that, they took action. They got in their chariots, and they rode out. They went and they eradicated, they, they actually killed the, the current king of Judah, and the one that was over Israel, ridding them of their authority and their reign over Israel. And then they went to Jezebel's house. Everybody familiar with a lady named Jezebel? She's one of the most talked about people in the, in the Old Testament, her and her husband Ahab. He went to Jezebel's house, <coughs> told her, hey, or actually he didn't speak to her. He got to the, to the gates and Jezebel put her makeup on and tried to, you know, give the appearance that she was still under control. And she yelled out, you know, why, why did you come here, you murderer? And he didn't even, he just didn't pay attention to her. He said, is there anybody in there who's on my side, who's on the side of the Lord's? And there were two or three eunuchs, it says, and they kind of popped their head out. Like, he said, well, throw her out. And so they tossed her out the window and she passed away. It's a beautiful representation of what it means for us to go ahead and follow after Christ, not just in word, but in deed and our action. When the Israelites, when people in, in Jerusalem, when Jesus was coming in, they weren't just throwing down their palm branches and their cloaks. To, to be like a really cool sign because they thought a donkey's hooves were really dirty. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the reasoning. There was something super significant about laying down what, what identified you as a, a certain person of status. And so as they laid down their status saying that Jesus is king, they were also stating that there should be action followed up after, just like they did in Jehu's day. Because one thing that Jehu also did was he rid Israel of the idolatry that had once plagued them 
in the time of rulership that Jezebel and Ahab had. The compromise of continual idolatry. And we see the very first thing that Jesus did whenever he rode in on the donkey was he went to the temple. And in that activity of going into the temple, he saw that there were money changing tables there. They were taking away um, the opportunity for Israel to be able to give from what they had. And they just would purchase something and then they'd go and take it to the temple. It was actually an add on from King Herod's time of rebuilding the temple or adding on to Zerubbabel's temple. It was never in the original design that God gave Solomon or that God gave David or that he gave Moses for the tabernacle or the temple to have those kind of money changing tables available for people to take commerce. And so people were taking advantage of those who were coming in the city, overcharging and overpricing the things that they would have to go in to sacrifice. And Jesus said this, my house was meant to be a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. So there was idolatry once again in the temple in the midst of God's people. And so Jesus ruffled quite a few feathers by going in and, and disrupting what was a money-making business for people in their church. And so this week, we get the privilege of going through uh, an amazing occurrence of what Christ did for us. Now this should be, I was talking a little bit earlier yesterday and to, and to a couple people today, this should not be something that we just get excited about celebrating once a year. This should be a daily process for us. It's easy for us to go through traditions and to forget about things until that tradition comes back around every single year and then to just be excited because that season is around. And that's great. Th there are great reasons why we have traditions, and it's, again, to remember certain occurrences. Israel did that all throughout their history. They had certain Passover me uh, certain meals, festivals. They had certain gatherings that they would come together with to remember the good deeds of what God did. But that should also be something that we should remember in our every single day process. And so we get to celebrate something that Christ did with even more emphasis this morning. And so what I'm going to do, this might be a little bit of an unconventional Easter morning message, but I feel like this is something that is, is really important for us to go through. Are you guys ready this morning? Let's, let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to come together and to celebrate you. Lord, help us not forget what you've done for us after today passes by. Let this be at the forefront of our minds. Let us be intentional as we speak to other people and as we wake up in the morning that we remember what you've done for us on the cross. And not just remember the cross because that's not where the story ended, but remember that the tomb is empty as well. And that you had to leave and send the Holy Spirit so that we could all encounter and be with you in a way that was much greater than just having a physical representation of you in Jesus. You sent your Holy Spirit to be with us so that each and every one of us can have that personal relationship. And so thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for everything that you're doing in us. And thank you for this opportunity to come together and to read and study your word together. We love you. We praise you. And thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and start here. So directly after <clears throat> Jesus went into, into the temple and flipped those money-changing tables, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew, it goes in, uh, Matthew's account of the gospel. Uh, it, it talks about how Jesus' authority was questioned by some really smart people, religious leaders. Uh, Jesus gave a couple parables and started going into some stories. He was questioned again about certain aspects of taxation, about uh, the resurrection, about the greatest commandment, and who the, and then he replied with a question about whose son the Messiah is, this, is the Messiah. So then we go right into this process. So, so think of it this way. Jesus has 
he flips these money changing tables, crazy thing. People get really aggravated at him for doing that because, <laughs> I mean, that's just messing with people's money. How many of you guys know that when some people mess with someone else's money, things start to get a little hairy? So he starts messing with their money in that, in that stance. It's like, hey, you guys are doing the wrong things right now. This is not where it needs to be. And so they start questioning him, asking him a bunch of different things and trying to figure out if they could trick him in their questioning. And then finally they figured out at the very end of that that they could not trick him with anything and that he actually asked them a question that they couldn't actually answer. So there was a lot of things that were happening in the middle of this. And so right after they get done not being able to ask questions, Jesus goes into this passage. And I think this is really helpful. <coughs> it says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their uh, flak trees wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is interesting. I've mentioned this before, but in, uh, in verse 5, when he, when he talks about uh, making their garments long, their tassels on their garments long, again, he was, he was accusing them of extending their own cords, of giving themselves their own levels of importance, because that was a symbol of importance within their religious structure. So he was like, these guys are even lengthening their own cords to show that they're more important. So they're, they're seeking and searching so much validation and recognition from people around them that they will, they will lengthen their own cords on their own tassels, on their own garments, to give the appearance of greater value and importance to them. And so let's skip down to verse 23. There, there's a, uh, I, we could do a whole message on this, this little passage, but uh, he gives what's called these seven woes. Um, and we're just going to go through one of the woes. We're not going to do a whole entire passage here, but this is one that I really wanted to highlight. And this is where the title of the message, Justice, Mercy, and Faithfulness, come into play. He says this, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without re re uh, neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've rejected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This is a wonderful representation of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He displayed these three things in all of his glory. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. We can see a lot of correlation here as well 
between a favorite passage of mine out of Matthew chapter 5. Starting with the Beatitudes, working through the Sermon on the Mount. I was talking to my Uncle Jerry uh, the other night, and uh, he's really been loving the, the passage of the Sermon on the Mount as well. So we got to geek out a little bit about some of the things there. But I think that this is something that we can see throughout all of Jesus' ministry. Which is his representation of the law and interpretation of the way that we should be looking at how we serve God. <coughs> In the previous section, it said that the greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The interesting thing is that when Jesus, as he walked in humility, that he was exalted to the cross. And it was from the position of the cross that all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt was put on display. The fruit of our own personal labor for what we can do on our own was placed on his shoulders on the cross and exalted in that place. They placed on the top of his, of his cross there, Jesus, King of the Jews. The wonderful thing was that our own works put him there, but the power of God was the thing that raptured him from that grave and took him to a place that was seated in front of us where we can see that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. Conquered death, hell, and the grave. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mention this every single time I talk about it, but it sandwiches with the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 25, he goes on to say this. I'll go through this and then we'll talk for a little bit. You guys good with that? Cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> Verse 31, he says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's amazing how scripture ties in together. It's easy for us to miss these things if we're not intentional about reading the word and seeing the connecting points that we have all throughout. The king himself will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's amazing how when you're walking in righteousness that it doesn't matter the status or the position of the people that you're looking to help and assist. It doesn't matter who those people are. You just know that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And you have compassion for those people. You're walking in the righteousness that the Lord has set before us. The example that Jesus gave us as he walked the earth. 
that when we're doing these things, it doesn't matter. We don't have to keep an account of who it was that we saw specifically because we want to make sure that we have people of influence who are coming in or going out. These people didn't know, Lord, when did we, when did we do this to you? And he says, even to the least of these, you've done it to me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven everything Jesus did in the midst of that layered on top of each other in those beatitudes it was a solidification of every single thing that he taught you have to first enter humble from a humble position blessed are those who are poor in spirit took a position of humility Realizing that you are not the king of all the kings and that everything that you say is not the complete and total absolute truth there. You have to follow the truth that is set in the word. It takes a very humble person to be able to sacrifice their opinion to something that is greater than themselves. This whole thing about my truth, their truth, whoever's truth is horribly incorrect in the way that we, we teach that in, in culture. Not necessarily here at this church, but just the way that culture portrays that. It's not about someone's truth. This is about the truth that is absolute that's found in Scripture. We have to humble ourselves first. And that means that we don't just live by our own flesh. We can't do that. We have to live by the standard that is set before us in Scripture. And so we see that the king says to those on his right, he separates those. We talked a couple weeks ago from 2 Samuel chapter 6 where we saw that David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city. And once they hit the threshing floor, they realized that something horrible had happened. As Uzzah tried to stabilize the Ark as it was sitting on a cart, he was struck dead in that moment. Also super interesting, it's on the threshing floor. Because the threshing floor was a place where people who were going through their wheat, they would, they would separate their wheat, their wheat from, the, from the, uh, the chaff. So what was good and what was not good. They would separate it at the threshing floor. There was a nice gust of wind. They, they would utilize the natural aspect of what was going on in, the, in that area geographically. And so the wind would come and move, and <coughs> they would get like a pitchfork, and they would kind of shake some of the stuff, and the chaff would just kind of go away, and the wheat would stay in place. And so they would easily be able to start to separate what was good from what was bad as it hit the threshing floor. And so they hit the threshing floor and realized that there was something inappropriate that had happened whenever Uzzah died that they had made a mistake. Realized that they were not carrying the presence of God in the way that he had desired for them to do so and instructed them to do so in the Old Testament as, they as he wrote to Moses and spoke to Moses. 
They were supposed to host the presence of God on the shoulders of the priests and walk him from one place to another as they would travel. So the standard that they used, it seemed like it was great because the oxen, they were just carrying the load, carrying the load of the presence of God. But in reality, that load was inappropriately used. The same way that many places, they rely on a church, church organization or structure to carry the presence. But when they walk out of the four doors of the church, they are not hosting his presence in their own life. They're not living by a standard where they're really paying attention to the Holy Spirit's activity inside of them. And so it's that, that change that has to be made in realizing that I have to go and follow a standard that God has set before me and not just something that's going to be easier for me. Not to be held accountable as I'm holding his presence. Not to take every step as I travel from, from one place to another with intentionality. Knowing that the way that I speak, the way that I act, the way that the way that I, I, I do things behind closed doors, the way that I do things in front of people, all those things matter as I represent and host his presence along with me. And so the same, this same imagery comes into play again as, as Jesus tells them that, <coughs> that they will take the sheep and the goats, and he'll separate them one from another. And he'll speak to one side, the sheep, and tell them what a marvelous job that they did, feeding, clothing, tending to them in this time of need, even when they didn't realize that that was happening. It was because of the heart position that they had and the intentionality of caring for those the way they've been instructed to. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It was after this parable that Jesus gave, after this example that in Matthew 26, the chief priests and elders conspired to kill Jesus. after this convicting, convicting little message that he gave them, talking about how they would extend their own cords and, and lengthen their own garments and try to uh, give a level of importance and be more concerned about what people are, are how people perceive them more than, in, than it is how God perceives them. They weren't poor in spirit. They were trying to become kings and get to the peak of their, their own place so that they could be recognized by others as someone of importance. When we do that, we miss the mark horribly because then we become God in our own eyes under the guise of the language of Christianity. It was after that as well in chapter 26 that it shares that, that Judas went to the, the religious leaders and said, okay, what do I need to do to turn him over? At any point, what will you give me? You see, interesting enough too, um, Judas, Judas also knew how to take care of some money. And so I can imagine that he could have gotten a little aggravated at some of the intentionality of, of Jesus to flip some of the money changing tables and, and then some of the, uh, the feathers that were being ruffled. We don't get a whole lot of details about, about Judas's thought process in the middle of all that, but we do know that he conspired to betray Jesus at that point. I don't want to dive too deep into possible interpretations of what could have been going on, but, but you can insert many different types of thought processes that could have been going on in his own mind that would relate to our own hearts. Just think about it. When Jesus, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of certain things, what is our response in the middle of that conviction? 
Is our response that we want to now figure out a way we can get out of this whole thing because this is just too much for me to bear to think that I'm going to have to sacrifice my money? I don't mean you're giving all your money to the church. I'm just meaning that you have to be aware of what you're spending your money on and who you're giving your money to. Are you elevating money in your mind to where that's your sole purpose in life is just to gain more and more and more money? We don't need a poverty mentality, so please don't misunderstand me there. That's also a, a disservice to the way that God can actually use us to influence people and to be helpful and beneficial to the community that we're around. However, when money becomes our sole focus, then we will always end in corruption because you will start to compromise at every single corner just to make an extra buck. Money's good, but it cannot be all. So when Jesus starts to flip those money changing tables, whoo, what are we doing with that? When he starts to, to pinpoint, it, maybe it's not money, maybe it's something else. Because a temple is a great representation of who we are now as the body of Christ. Amen? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if he dwells in us, then what is corrupting us on the outliers that prevent us from actually being a great representation of what it means to follow after Jesus with, tr with full righteousness? And it was in these moments that we find ourselves in Judas's shoes more and more often than we find ourselves in another position. Judas's response to these convicting words and these actions ended up being betrayal. And it was in the middle of that betrayal that Jesus still, his last activity, this is crazy, his last activity before he went to the cross was to have communion with his disciples. He washed their feet as they came in. Even the one who was going to betray him washed his feet. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He washed his feet, broke bread with them, as we're going to do this morning at the end of this message. Shared with them again what was getting ready to happen. He chose to serve on his last night. And I can imagine if someone told you you had a week left to live, you had just a week left, and you had all the money in the world to spend, what would you do? I think there'd be many of us that would say, well, I've always wanted to go to this place, or I've always wanted to do this thing, or I've always wanted to experience this kind of event, or I've always wanted to buy this, or and you have a whole list of things that could possibly be done. Jesus' last night, he chose to serve the people that he was around and share with them the secrets of his heart. And then he went to pray. That's not our typical response. In the midst of knowing that crisis was getting ready to happen and the worst event of your life is getting ready to transpire. But Jesus' response was to serve. And then a crazy thing happened. When the soldiers came and picked him up, it seemed like all hell broke loose. Peter chopped the dude's ear off. Not my Jesus. Then Jesus put it back on the guy. What is that? <laughs> That's crazy. And then the disciples scattered. At the cross, there was only one 
one person left. There's two people, one of his disciples and his mom. There are two people left at the cross. Every time Jesus was questioned, he kept silent until he revealed that he was the I am. Even, even if you know that you're right, you know the intention of the people who are sitting there in opposition of you are completely wrong and they're just trying to get, get one over on you. You don't have to say a word. The actions of your life should speak very loud in those moments. And when you choose to open your mouth, it should be one that is full of intentionality and full of truth. Jesus went to the whipping post where it was at that place that he was made unrecognizable. You ever go in and you start studying and researching what the activity would be that would actually happen to someone at that whipping post? The amount of stripes that he received, the amount of, of times they hit him would have killed a person. But he remained alive. Unrecognizable, absolutely brutal. I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard for us to fathom. I mean, you could watch The Passion of the Christ, and that's a pretty good de depiction of it. But still, it's some people say that that still doesn't do it justice. And then he went to the cross. And two people were left. Like I said, John and his mom. When we just remember last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday. All these people throwing down these palm branches and grabbing their cloaks and throwing it down and stuff. Jesus is king. But it was in those moments that he had two people left. I think it's easy for us on this side of history to be like, oh, I'd have been there too. Heck yeah. I'd have been right there at his feet, just ready for him to rise three days later. Like, I'm, I'm there. And there's so many more times I think that we fail at feeling like we're the hero of the story because we're never the hero of the story. It's easy for us to try to put ourselves at the top because we feel like we would just be that courageous. But in reality, it was Jesus was the one who was courageous. He was the one who was bold. He was the one that went to the cross in those moments. And it was for, for complete mercy that he did that. He displayed justice in that moment. Justice because he took the weight of our sin, our shame, our guilt, all of our pain, all the things that we experience here on earth, he took that on the cross as punishment for our sins. It was merciful because he was spotless and he did not have any sin in his life. None whatsoever. But still went to the cross in our, in our place. And he was shown to be faithful. Because he not only did that for the people who are alive there, but he's been faithful all of eternity. Showing time and time again that if you truly submit yourself to Jesus Christ, then, then all the things that you've experienced will melt away. Not that you won't ever have a remembrance of some of those things. Whenever you heal up from things, I've had multiple surgeries um, in my times of, of playing old man basketball. <laughs> and I have scars from those surgeries. I had an ACL Reconstruction, and I also had, uh, had, a, had a graft put in my, my Achilles. I ruptured my Achilles tendon. There are scars there, but I'm walking around like I'm fine. 
The scars are remembrance of what happened. But it doesn't define the injury that I had back then and how I'm walking today. So we may have some scars, but there's a beautiful story to tell about Jesus' faithfulness to heal us from the woundedness and the brokenness of our lives. And so he's faithful and just to continuously forgive us in the middle of all the things that we're experiencing. And so justice is getting what is rightfully deserved. The justice of him going to the cross. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. That's why I love that passage and why I read that a little bit earlier. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out gnats and swallow camels. We cannot earn our own righteousness, just like the Pharisees could not be righteous enough to offer salvation for people. It's easy for people to spout out things with their mouth, but not live out something. This, Jesus was, was alluding to the fact that he not only was the embodiment of the law, but he also took upon all the things and displayed the mercies of God on the cross. He displayed justice as he went to the cross for our sins. He displayed mercy because now we don't have to suffer that same penalty. And faithfulness. Showing what God had done all the way from the book of Genesis all the way through to that moment and continues to do on now. How the how Israelites, from the very beginning, they broke the covenant that they had with God. When they were, when they were at Mount Sinai, they told God, uh, we talked about this multiple times, but they told God, yes, we will do every single thing that you commanded us, every single thing you requested, we will do, we will follow. And immediately after Moses went up, between the time that he went up and came down, they made a golden idol, they made a calf. And I love that right here, Jesus says in this passage, he calls them blind guides. You strain out gnats, but swallow camels. This is another representation of that instance at Mount Sinai. When they made the golden calf, there's a, there's a guy named uh, G.K. Beale has a book called We Become What We Worship. And he goes through the depiction of the, of the calf, how the calf, that golden calf that they created had eyes, but it couldn't see because it was a, a statue. It had ears on it, but it couldn't hear. It had a place for a brain, but it couldn't comprehend anything. It was stiff-necked because it was an ox. And so when they were worshiping that ox, they became like that ox spiritually. They had eyes, but couldn't spiritually see what God was doing. They had ears, but couldn't hear God and couldn't recognize his voice because they were so contaminated with idolatry. They had a place for their brain where you can operate and you can move and you can do things, but you can't comprehend the word because it's, it's like foolishness to you. <clears throat> and being stiff-necked and being prideful, not humbling ourselves to a place to where you know that you are not the one pulling the cart. You realize it is not by my might or by my power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And so we get to celebrate today, not just, just the fact that we have, have a great image of, of Jesus on the cross. We're like, oh man, yeah, my sins are forgiven. No, do you truly live this out? Is this truly something that's a part of your life that you, that you embody in the midst of, of your lifestyle that as you're going through your day, you live as if, <clears throat> you live as if Christ truly died for you? It's easy for us to say that we're Christians in America, especially in this area. Good Lord. We're about as conservative as it comes. Super easy. Compared to being in some er other areas where they're, 
they're beheading people for claiming that they're Christians. We have it super easy. So how in this, in this place are we finding that we're living out our salvation truly? It's not just, just folding into to conservatism and the activities that come from living in a, in a red state. That's not going to be the thing that saves you. Then you're just like the Pharisees. You're just doing stuff that seems like it's right, but in reality, your heart is not anywhere near what it needs to be. You can quote the Bible, you can quote these things, but do you live that out and not just quote it? The justice that we deserve outside of Christ is a life without his presence. Which living a life without his presence means that we're walking in idolatry, we're satisfying our own flesh, and we're at war with righteousness continually. That means bondage, that means manipulation, that means fear, that means insecurities. Now, I'm not saying that when we're Christians, we don't do deal with some of these things, but there is a remedy. And that remedy is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has to be action and intentionality, which is why I brought up the passage last, last week from Jehu. There has to be action attached to our declaration of faith. Otherwise, we're just showing up on a Sunday morning during Easter, showing up on a Sunday morning during Christmas, and we're checking off these boxes. But man, if we actually take what the gospel preaches with true intentionality in our hearts, we humble ourselves to a position to where we can look at Christ, then we'll realize that the justice that has been served is very merciful for us and will be continually faithful. Praise God for his justice. Because that means that that there's a standard. Also praise God for his mercy because we miss that mark pretty often. And praise God that he is faithful in his mercy to display his justice. Jesus went to that cross. He died a terrible death. However, Three days later, we have the privilege of knowing that that tomb was then emptied. Everything that he had declared and and spoken about made completely valid and gave the disciples the confidence to no longer grieve for a lost friend, but to rejoice in a savior My confidence is now found in my own ability. It needs to be found in Christ. Christ crucified and resurrected. It's important for us to remember that this morning. It's easy to say it's all about the cross. It is is very much about the cross, but we cannot forget that the tomb is empty. Because if we live at the cross, then we will never celebrate the resurrection. We have to remember those two in tandem. Because we will go through suffering in life, which the cross is on great display for that. The one who we worship, the peak of what was happening was to display that suffering will occur. 
which at the end of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James writes, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Peter writes very similarly, saying that, that you will be blessed when you encounter trials, because the testing of your faith will produce that endurance as well. The Bible does not negate the suffering aspect of it. But also we celebrate the fact that on the other side of suffering is a victorious testimony that we get to have. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And Jesus was not just a cross. That cross was also empty. And in light of that, you get to see the resurrection that the tomb was empty as well. And now we live in a beautiful place where Jesus ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and sent his Holy Spirit to come and be with us. What an amazing privilege that we have to be able to commune with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, to hear his conviction, to listen to what he has to say, and to follow after the direction of God. Amen? So let's, let's do something that's really, really important for us to do on a, on a regular basis. I like to do this as much as possible, and I want to do some of this um, a lot more at my own house, and I encourage you guys to do so, but we're going to take communion this morning. So if you guys could come up and and grab the elements. Something that's also really important is that I believe that, um, as we all believe, that communion is to be taken by those who are, who are believers, that this is our, our challenge and our steadfast. So I want to offer this opportunity that if there's anybody in here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that if you would like to know Jesus, and you don't want to be, be one of these religious hypocrites like the Pharisees were, but you actually want to put action behind the words of declaration that I believe that Jesus came, he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave. And if you do not know Jesus this morning, would you just lift your hands and say, I would like to know Christ. Anybody in this place, I would like to know Christ. I need to make Jesus my Savior. Praise God, we have a lot of believers in here. That's good. Now this is another thing that I think that is really important for us. And Paul even tells us that, that many people are sick in their bodies because they're taking a communion without being intentional about about asking for forgiveness. They have lots of unforgiveness in their life, or they have lots of sin in their life that they have been unrepentant of. So I want to take this time that if you feel that there's some things inside your heart where you feel more like a Pharisee, because now we're talking to believers. You guys said that you are believers in this room and, and, uh, and that, you, that you know Jesus. And so this is the important part. We read about the Pharisees and the hypocrisy that they walked into. We do not need to be like these Pharisees. So if you feel like there have been, been times recently that you have not gone to the Lord about, that you feel like you're more of a Pharisee or one of those religious leaders where you're trying to lengthen your own cords and trying to increase your level of importance around people because you're more, you're more intent about what people think about you rather than your relationship is with God, then this is a point in time where I feel like you need to start to, to talk to Jesus. So we're going to take just a few moments to be, to be silent, and this is where I feel like, like as a believer, you should be used to talking to God a little bit more. And if you're not used to it, then this is something that you can do with some intentionality this morning and practice. It's good practice to, I mean, this is, a, this is what, what a better place to practice prayer than a church, right? <laughs> and so if you're not used to praying, then this is something that you can do right now. You just talk to Jesus like you would uh, a parent or a friend or a sibling. And everything that comes to your mind that you feel like is, has not honored God and has been in opposition to what his word says, then just start to talk to him. God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Convict my heart further so that I can follow after you with more intentionality.
thank you so much that that you are just. Thank you that there's a standard that we get to live by. Thank you that you showed us what it really means to to love God and to love people like we love ourselves. Thank you that you displayed what it looks like to be a friend in giving your life so that we can have life. Thank you for taking the the guilt and shame that we could carry and remove that burden from our shoulders. Thank you that you did not leave us without responsibility after that, but you gave us your your yoke and your burden, which is light. That we're just to follow in obedience after you. I pray right now that anybody encountering and experiencing shame in their life, Lord, that they would experience your love, that they would have a revelation of what it means to be loved by you. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, we definitely didn't deserve it or earn it, but you gave it to us. So thank you for your mercy. And thank you for faithfully showing us mercy. Help us now, Lord, to to be people who who are full of justice, but equally full of mercy. Give us good discernment. And open our ears, God, so that we can hear your voice at a greater capacity. And help us as we read through your word for the words, for the phrases, and for the meanings of each and every one of those things that we read. Help those become written upon our hearts so that instead of pain and trauma that is so easy for it to surface when undealt with, instead of that being the the guiding post for us, that it's your word that becomes the standard of how we live. So I pray for everyone in the hearts that are dealing with unforgiveness in their, in their lives right now too. Lord, that that bondage would be broken from them. That burden would be lifting. So that bitterness doesn't arise and disperse throughout their mind. Father, we want to take these elements with a pure heart and a pure mind. So deal with those things inside of us right now in Jesus' name. I pray against the spirit of, of, I pray against the orphan spirit that people could have that they have been just rejected time and time again. And I thank you, God, that you've adopted us into your kingdom. You've adopted us into your family. You said you would never leave us or forsake us. So I pray against that trauma in people's lives right now too, that they would know that Jesus is, 
you are faithful, you are just, you are merciful. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say, amen. Why don't you guys stand? We have, we have a couple elements here in the front and also Sister Virginia's in the back. So if you're in the back, a few rows there, you guys can go back there with Sister Virginia. And, and you guys who are on this side right here, you guys can start making your way up this direction. Matthew 26, we see while Jesus was with his disciples. Verse 26, he said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. We have bread here. Because I think it's really helpful to see that when bread is broken, imperfect there's not a perfect shape that it goes into there's actually a ripping and a tearing that happens in there if you've ever ripped bread open it's you can't ever get a perfect little line he's broken for our imperfections nothing that we have or do there is perfect to the means that we can earn ourselves into a place where God wants to then forgive us. It's not my perfection that Jesus wanted. It's my life. His body was ripped open. Ripped the same way we see this bread was was ripped. 
pulled it out of its, of its natural shape of what it was. But the beautiful thing is that the bread that we had is dispersed amongst all of us here. So it's not just for one person. It's not just for one individual. It's not just for me because I have a microphone and I'm standing here and so I get the privilege of having the bread. Jesus broke the bread and he distributed it. So when he fed the 5,000, the multiples, he multiplied what was there in order to provide more than enough for the people who were in attendance. His sacrifice was more than enough for each and every one of us. There's not one person who receives more grace or more mercy. We all have more than enough. Charles Spurgeon has, a, has a, an interesting quote where he says that when someone speaks ill of you, don't combat it because you're probably more wicked than what they actually tried to pull against you. I think it's true. There's only certain things that people see on the surface or they encounter on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot more corruption than what people will think that we have. And so we have the beautiful mercy of Jesus Christ as his body was broken for us. Knowing that, guess what? His sacrifice was sufficient. More than enough sufficient. It is now our responsibility to remember his sacrifice so that we can walk in the freedom that he's offered us. We don't just do this because it's a tradition. We do this because there's significance behind it. There are three types of views of the way that we, that we look at this. Some people think it's transubstantiation, that the, the actual elements turn into the body and the blood of Jesus. Another one is consubstantiation. They believe that, that there's the presence of God in the midst of everything that we're doing when we remember that his presence is there with us. They said it's in front of, it's behind, it's to the right, it's to the left. It's all around, it's above and below these elements. As we remember the intentionality of what Jesus did as he went to the cross. I like that one a lot. And then there's a symbolism that you can take when you just look at it. I, you can believe whatever you want to about that. <clears throat> but my thing is, do we remember truly? And is it impactful for us when you see these, these elements? When you look at the bread, do you, do you truly think about what Jesus did for you? Remembering the sin that you have and that that put, put Jesus on the cross. But knowing that he took that punishment to the grave. And then he rose victoriously over it. Which now, as we take up our cross and follow after him we crucify our flesh and we're raised with him and seated on heavenly places so let's take this bread remembering the good things that Jesus did as his body was broken for us Jesus thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your body that was beaten, battered, bruised ripped open and shredded Thank you that you did that for us, even though we didn't deserve it. But thank you that your love abounds so gracefully and graciously that you gave yourself for us. And so we take this bread in remembrance of you. Why don't you take the bread? Matthew 26, 27, he says, when he took the cup, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
I love it. It says, then they sung a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives to go pray. The blood is very significant when it comes down to covenants in the Old Testament in the Bible. They celebrated this on the time where the, the Passover lamb, they would recognize what, what God did for them in Egypt. As the lamb's blood was, was placed over top of the, of the headboards as they would enter into their houses. So that the spirit of death wouldn't pass through and take their firstborn. When we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, it's not just something that we remember for ourselves. It'd be pretty selfish of us. But this is something that we get to remember for our household and for those who are in our community. It's something that we get to share with one another. Not just something that is, is, is self-satisfying. But his blood was for those who accept him as, as, as Savior. There is cleansing that happens whenever we have this, this cup. He healed us internally, in our mind, and externally. We can be complete in whole mind, body, and spirit. Like Andrew Womack, he has a book called Spirit, Soul, Body, that as we accept the thing that Jesus did on the cross, spiritually, he makes us pure. And then as we continue on and learn more and more about him, he'll cleanse your mind, your thought life, and the things that, that cause you to move out in action because now you're in alignment with what the Spirit has, has given you. And then, and then your act, in your activity externally, you'll start to encounter fruit of his activity inside of your heart. And so, Jesus, we, we take of this cup, not just because it's tradition, but because we truly remember that you went to the cross and that you suffered horribly so that we could have the freedom and we could be removed of bondage. Jesus, help us to live a life that reflects the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Give thanks. Amen. I'll end with this. I know it's 1214. Before he did, before he, he gave of, of the bread and the, and the, and the wine, you good girl. <laughs> before, he, before he did each of those things, says that he thanked. It's important for us to remember to be thankful. It's easy to operate in a spirit of complaint whenever things are not going quite our way. But Jesus, fully knowing that he was about to go to the cross, was thankful as he broke the bread and talked about the sacrifice that was going to be made. He was thankful as he poured the wine and he gave of the cup for them to drink before he went to the cross, knowing that he was going to be beaten, battered, and bruised. He had, a, he had a thankful heart because of it. So this morning, on Resurrection Sunday, let's have a thankful heart, knowing that we serve a God who is just, who is merciful, and who is faithful fully embodying those things, putting it on display. It wasn't just a man of words, but a man of action. Let us be like Jehu and his, and his army, not just declaring that Jehu is king, but going out and defeating idolatry in the nation by ridding the thing that was the, the, the main antagonist for it. Let us be like John. Excitingly being able to put a cloak or a palm branch down and staying at the foot of the cross and then excitedly being a part of the group of people who would disseminate the good news of the gospel to every corner of the world.
Lord, bless you and keep you. Let his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Let's turn his face towards you and give you peace. You guys be blessed this morning. Hope you have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Why don't you guys go have, have lunch with somebody. Enjoy time. If you would like prayer, maybe you'd like a little bit more intentionality right here in this front. Um, I'll be here. We'll have a couple of the other pastors.